hot dog. I uh, so many funny comments came to mind as he was talking about we won't we won't put you somewhere you don't want to serve. Because some of y'all have been in church for a minute, and you know that you. <laughs> Anyways, um, please volunteer. <laughs> Funniest things are the things we don't say. That's, that's true. That's why some of you are laughing. All right, today's message. Um, get, get your Bibles going. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to start in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Um, and probably start in verse 19, although we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be all over the place. The, the title of today's message is The Long and the Short of It. Um, this is a classic idiom in English language. Uh, it basically means that's, that's all you need to know about that. Um, that's uh, everything. All, all, it's the summary of everything right here. And instead of going on and on and on like preachers do, uh, we're going to give you the, the summary here. But it, every time I hear that phrase... I always think of wiener dogs. Just why? Why? Because they're long and short. Or short and long. I usually think of short first because they're really short, and then, wow, that's long for how short they are. And, and That's the long and the short of it. Um, there's going to be some pictures that you have in your mind from today's message. I hope that's not the one that sticks. All right. It might be, all right, if you're a dog person. As we study, uh, we're continuing, this is part four in our study of salvation. Uh, it's critical that we understand and we, and we get into what salvation is, how it works, how, it, how we receive it, how God does it, and so this is going to be part four of that. Why do, you, why do I want you to understand this? Why do I want to understand this? The more you know about how you are saved the more you know about God. And that's really our main pursuit in life. That's why we're created, was to know God, to enjoy Him, to be in relationship with Him. But my secondary motivation is so that you can communicate this salvation, this gospel, with other people who don't know it. And there's going to be questions, and there's going to be challenges. And if you can understand more of the process, then you can explain it to them. So we began uh, three weeks ago with talking about the death of Christ. Why did Jesus have to die? We talked about the sin problem. You are, by nature, um, because you are human, you are born into a corrupted environment. You are, uh, don't blame your parents, it was there for them too. Um, but you have, you have sin in your blood, in your DNA. It's part of who you are. And then you made bad choices. So you got problems. There's a sin problem. What happens is that separates you from God. You take yourself away from God with your sinfulness, with your decisions. So Jesus had to come. Jesus had to be the one to take the penalty for your rebellion, the penalty for your sin. And when he did that, now you can be in relationship with the Father again. You can be in that place that you were created for all along. But Jesus didn't stay dead. We're coming up on Easter. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so when Jesus came up from the grave, when he was resurrected by the power of God, that was affirming everything that he had said. 
Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And when he rose from the dead, everybody knew it was true. He said a lot of things, including I will rise from the dead. And when he did do it, it affirmed everything and confirmed everything that he had been promising and saying all along. Last week, we talked about God's sovereignty and our free will. And if God wants to save me, what is my role in that? Right? If, if God is all-powerful, if he is really sovereign, if he knows everything, then what do I even have to do? Like he could just, he just makes everything work the way he wants it, right? Nope, nope, because he's created us with free will. He's, he wants real love and relationship, with, which means that you have to reciprocate. You have to choose him. There are certainly things that you can't do. You can't save yourself, but you can choose him and allow him to save you. Today we're going into two words my daughter asked me last night. Dad, what are you what are you talking about tomorrow? And I said, we're talking about justification and sanctification. And she went, what? And I said, exactly, exactly. That's why we're talking about it. That's why we're going to take this whole time kind of describing these two words and the principles at work here. So justification would be the short of it. And sanctification, we'll call that the long of it. So that's, that's why it's the long and the short of anyways. Okay, um, Romans 3, 19. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Now, uh, verse 19. So now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Even you, Matthew. Yeah. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. I'm going to read that part of verse 20 again. We'll probably come back to it. Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For though the law, through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Jesus Christ. This says justified a couple times in here. What's going on in this passage? Justified is a, is a legal term, and it means uh, to be declared not guilty, to be, um, to be assigned innocence. It's um, proclaimed righteous. In a court of law, uh, you would have... The, the ruling of the judge and he's you know or or in some cases the jury right and the the verdict comes back guilty or not guilty this is justified is not guilty not guilty it's a biblical concept um, and it has to do with with how you stand before God more so than just just uh, not guilty of the sin you have but how you relate to God so you could be not guilty of the sin 
and still go your own way. But this has to do with your relationship with God, your standing with God, declared in right relationship with God. It's more than just forgiving or pardoning sins, but that is definitely a part of it. It's more than the removal of the guilt and the condemnation, which all by itself is astounding and and amazing. It has to do with the righteousness that is declared. You are declared righteous. I, I was trying to think of something to to explain this in in visible terms, and and I had trouble finding something. So I imagined myself in a courtroom. Imagine yourself in a huge courtroom with all the fine wood and stone finishes. It's full of important people, and they're there to witness a monumental judgment from the judge. This judge is unquestionably the authority and indisputably just and fair. And in a moment of desperate horror, you realize that the impending judgment is concerning you. It's concerning you. Standing there behind the defendant's table, all you can do is tremble and await your fate. You are powerless to do anything. You are keenly aware that you are, in fact, guilty, and there is no escaping the penalty that's coming. All is hopeless and miserable, and you know you deserve it. There's no way out. As you're standing there at the table off to the other side of the, of the courtroom, there's a, a little commotion, and you catch a glimpse of one whose presence surprises you. There's a lot of people there, but this one surprises you, and it's the son of the judge. He himself is also one of unquestionable authority. His very presence in the room seems to add to your own guilt. Yet somehow his eyes meet yours, and you are filled with hope. It's strange. Inexplicably, you know that that he's going to take care of you, and everything will be okay. It's like in that glimpse there, he offered new life, but without saying anything out loud. I mean, what could he really do? He's in the same room you are. He's not behind the the, uh, judge's stand up there. How could he possibly get you out of this, or why would he? It's just crazy enough that you decide that you can trust him. You decide that you can believe in him. And then suddenly, in a strange and supernatural moment, everything turns on its head, and you find yourself sitting instead of standing, sitting where he was, and he is now standing at the defendant's table. He's awaiting the judgment that was coming down for you. The judge, it seems, didn't notice a switch. Thank you, Mario. The judge didn't notice a switch, and he pronounces the judgment, and the son willingly receives that punishment. Then the judge looks directly at you and says, you are not guilty, you are innocent. But even stranger, he looks at you, and the way that he looks at you is in love. He looks at you in, with a love that would normally be reserved for his son. 
See, not only did the son take your place at the defendant's table, he took your place and and took the punishment for, for your crimes, but you are now in his place and receiving his privileges and his good relationship with the judge. It happened instantly. One moment you're a criminal, and now you have not only been pardoned and released, but brought into the place of the Son. This is justification. It happens like that when you give your life to Jesus, when you put your faith in Him. This is what happens. You see, God can't just overlook your sin and pretend it never happened, even though He is nice, He is compassionate. But that's not how justice works. And God is completely just. So how does this happen? How does God do this? Well, we know some things that it isn't. We know that it's not by your works or anything that you could do. We know that it's not by keeping the law. Romans 3.20, we read it a moment ago. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law only comes knowledge of sin. The law, what it does is it makes you aware that you have sin in your life. Now, you can observe that law and say, oh, I need to fix this. I need to make good decisions. I need to to, uh, straighten up. I need to behave better. But Scripture is clear that no matter how much you try that, you will never be good enough to be justified. You will never be declared innocent because of the things that you can do. If you want to do it by yourself and you were to try that, you would need to perfectly follow God's law. Perfectly. But the thing is that no human ever has. And no, no human can do this completely. Which is why Galatians 3.10 says, For many are the works of the law, as many as are the works of the law, they are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, we talked about as Jesus died, He was made sin for us. And so, He took that punishment. Uh, he, he was the one who was cursed because He took on our punishment for not obeying the law. So that's that switch, right? Jesus took our place. He became... Uh, he became sin. He took on the penalty and, and the condition of sin. He, he did the old switcheroo, and, and now we're over here because he took that. He put us over here in his place in right relationship with the Father. Now, the law itself, sometimes you read Paul and you think, oh, my goodness, the law is just this terrible thing, um, and we're so glad that it's gone that we don't have to listen to it. Now, that's... That's not what Paul was saying. Paul grew up with the law. Paul really knew what the law said. It's not bad or wrong. In fact, it's perfect and it's holy. It's just and it's good. Um, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he completely fulfilled it. The law helps us realize our need for him and our own inability to earn our way to him. There's nothing you can do in that criminal spot. There's nothing you can do to to make your crimes go away. 
you are powerless to do that, no matter how much good you do. Romans 3.28, a little further down in that, in that chapter, um, says that we, we maintain that man is justified, people are justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. So you can't do it. Justification does not happen. It is not activated by something that you do. You can't do anything about that in the sense of actions. But it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. Uh, a gift is not something um, that there's a couple people who, whose birthdays are going on right here. There, there are gifts involved, and the only thing that you did was be, right? I mean, you, did, you didn't, like, boy, it's my birthday. I really did good today, <laughs> right? I mean, one could hope, but, but that's generally not what, what that's about. It's uh, you, you just be, and, and you receive a gift. If you receive a gift, you didn't do anything to earn that. Since it's impossible for us to be perfect and to earn it, it must come from God. He's the only one who can do it, and Jesus was the only one that could offer it. Again, in verse 24, being justified as a gift. We are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we can't earn it. It's got to come from God. It comes because Jesus has taken our place, because of the substitutionary death of Christ. Because God is just, he can't just wave a wand and make bad things go away. There's got to be a price. There's got to be a justice. Uh, there, there's a scripture, I didn't write it down here, but God is both just and the justifier. It says that of Jesus. He, he is perfectly just. He that there is nothing unfair or, uh, now forget your emotions for a minute because I know my kids are like, that's not fair. Okay, not that kind of fair. Uh, we're talking about justice and, and true justice beyond the things that we can see. He is just, but he was also the one who could justify us by taking our penalty. He is just and, he, and the pardon he gives you and I is also based on the terms of strict justice. Okay? He didn't blow on it and make it go away. There were terms, and he met those terms. Jesus brought justice to sinners by taking the punishment on himself. Isn't that crazy? He brought justice. He brought justice. He, he restored the balance. There was nothing unjust anymore. He brought justice by actually taking that punishment. So it is received as a gift from God. It's through Jesus who died in our place. And then here's the one thing that you do. It's received through faith. And that means that when you put your trust in Him, when you put your hope in Him completely as the sole means of your salvation, the only way that, that you will survive, the only hope for your existence, and the very reason that you're created. When you put your faith in him, through Jesus Christ, you believe in his death and in his resurrection. In that moment, Scripture says, you are justified. The switcheroo. You were here at the defendant's table. 
guilty. But now you have believed and accepted the gift that God has given you in Jesus, and now he's taking, taken your punishment, and you are declared righteous and in good standing with the Father. And it's completely just. I, I, I keep saying that because I'm still kind of amazed by that, right? It's completely just. You are justified. A way to say justified, and I've said this before, but you could say it's just as if I never did it. Just as if you, you never did it. Romans 4, in the next chapter, 3 through 5, uh, talks about Abraham. In Abraham, it says, and he uses the same word, he was justified before God. And it wasn't because he followed the law, because the law wasn't given yet, but he was justified through faith. He believed in God, and he trusted God completely. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Galatians 2.16 says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since the works of the law, no flesh, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Okay. So we've got kind of this picture of justification. We know that it happens as we put our faith in Christ and we are justified. What's the result of justification? Well, number one, the first obvious one is forgiveness of your sins. Instead of the just penalty of our sin remaining on us, he bears that penalty and we are forgiven. The second thing is restoration of God's favor. Because that was how we were created, to be with him, to be in relationship with him. There was a favor and a grace on us, and that was removed by the sin problem that's been dealt with. And now, as we accept Jesus' gifts, we are restored to favor with the Father. Right standing, right relationship. And there's no wrath, because justice demands are met. The third thing is that counted righteous. This was the, the extra strange moment as I, as I visualized that in the courtroom where it's one thing to be forgiven and escape the penalty of your sin. But it's another thing completely to experience right relationship with God. And that's the second part of justification is to experience that right relationship. Scripture says that Christ's righteousness was imputed to you. Instead of your inability to be perfect and fulfill the law, you have Christ's righteousness, right standing, and access to full relationship. So justification is a necessary and wonderful, wonderful part of our salvation. As we come to salvation, this is a, a very key part of it and a key aspect of it. And Listen, I'm just going to encourage you, hang out in Romans for a while. Hang out in Romans. Go deep. There's no way that we could talk a long time about each one of these aspects. But I want you to study. I want you to get in there. Um, find a couple different translations and study what the Word says. And, 
and let it sink in. Let the Holy Spirit bring things, these things to light and, and reveal to you what this means. It is, and the more you know, the crazier it is. The, the more wild it is, the deeper it is. And this justification will blow your mind. So keep studying it. Keep going. You're going to spend your whole life getting your mind blown by this, all right? So that is the short of it. That's the short of it. That's the part that happens like that when you put your faith in Christ. Now let's look at the long part. Sanctification. There's two, uh, two definitions, really, of sanctification. The first is a setting apart and a cleansing and a preparation for um, some sort of sacred or holy work, right? So uh, all the way back in the Old Testament as they're building the tabernacle and they, they make the utensils for, for doing various things in the tabernacle, you know, the fire pokers and the, and the candle lighters and, and all, all, the, all the implements, right? They were sanctified. They were cleansed. They went through a process and they were set aside for a sacred use, that is sanctifying. The second part of this is really where we're going today with, uh, with this concept, is the progressive process of cleansing and purging of moral defilement in us. So this is the long side of the equation. Why? Because it's going to last your whole stinking life long. This, we... Um, Several weeks ago, I was in Acts, we were talking about Paul, and I said, you don't, you don't get the magic wand when you give your life to Jesus. He doesn't just change everything about you so that now suddenly you act like Jesus all the time. You make good decisions, you don't make bad decisions, right? That, that doesn't happen. There are some things that he heals instantly, some things that, that he rearranges in your life, um, but you will go through this process for your whole life. Before you get discouraged, let's dig into this a little bit more. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm stuck. I'm going to be here forever. I'm going to keep making this stinking decision. I'm going I'm to keep thinking, how do I fix the way I think? How do I fix that? Justification happens instantly when you put your faith in Jesus. Sanctification happens both at once and also as a lifelong process. Let me, let me say that again. In another way, just like those utensils in the tabernacle, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are, in fact, set aside for service, for sacred use, for direct relationship with the Father. You are selected and, and set aside in Christ for that purpose. That means you're taken out of common use. You're taken out of the world, and you're set in Christ. So that happens right away. That's a one-time thing. But there's also the, the ongoing process. And it will only be completed when we see Jesus face-to-face -face and we change into our resurrected bodies and we don't deal with the human nature anymore, the, the sinful part of the human nature. It happened instantly. And it will go on for the rest of our lives. Okay, so, so how, do we, how do we picture this? Um, picture a, the polishing of a stone, right? A, a gemstone in the rough. Um, we were in, in the yard the other day and found an agate, right? Sometimes you can, you can find agates or, or a crystal or something. And, and 
Um, when you pick it up and decide, I'm going to polish this, I'm going to cut this, I'm going to process this, it is sanctified, it is chosen, it, it, it's removed from its previous place for a purpose, but then it will spend a process becoming what it should be and what, what you have in mind for it. And that also is sanctification. So the stone was sanctified when selected and also sanctified through the process. Um, how about the, the soil in my garden? Uh, if I, a couple years ago, we had our backyard completely rearranged. It was a nightmare. I had a garden. It was gone. Now I needed a new garden. So I picked a spot, and I began to prepare the soil. I started with that plot of land, which was not ready to be planted. I started by taking out the stones and then sifting out the medium stones and using various apparatus and, and you know, sifters and grates and, and all that. And then, and then I raked some more stuff out and I got rid of all the weeds and, and then the small stones. And, and then I began adding things to the soil, amendments, compost and peat moss and even a little bit of manure wasn't fun, but it needed to be done. And then mixing it and, and tilling it, and, and, and then it was ready. So that soil, that plot was sanctified when I selected it and said, the garden will go here. But then there was also a process of sanctification whereby impurities were removed. All right, one more. Filtering water. Imagine uh, filtering drinking water from a mud puddle, right? You're gonna, you, you would start with a, a coarse screening, get rid of the rocks and, and the big chunks, and then, and then you would progressively go through finer filters until it was only pure drinking water getting through. Different filters for different things. And so the water was sanctified when I pulled it out of the mud puddle because I chose it. But I ain't drinking it like that. No, no, it's got to be further sanctified. It's got to go through the filtration process. Sometimes we'd like to stay in the happy place of being selected. Yay! I'm justified and sanctified. I'm selected. I am, the Lord has chosen me and given me all these blessings, and it, it is incredible and we don't want to go through the process of sanctification. We don't want to keep growing. Why? Because it stinks to be put through filters. It's hard when the Holy Spirit says, hey, that was really ugly. Why, do you, why, why are you thinking like that? The truth is you are both now sanctified and you are being sanctified. This is where we live. This is the process. So unlike the objects being cleansed and purified in the, in the illustrations, we must be willing participants. The water really doesn't have a choice. It's an inanimate object. The, the, the ground didn't you know, have a choice where I put the garden, right? The, the gemstone is an inanimate object, did not choose to, to be part of that process. But we have been given free will. And so we can choose not to. We can choose to stagnate and never grow up. And you're not Peter Pan. 
right? You got to grow. You got to change. You got to you got to follow, you got to become more like Jesus. Your destiny, we read this scripture frequently, Romans 8, 29, says that your destiny, you are predestined in Christ to be like him. And God is working all things, if we go back to verse 28, he's working everything in your life that you will yield to him to make you look like Jesus. In other words, he's using everything in your life for the sanctification process. He's using it as screens and filters to get the big rocks out. He's he's running that water through a different kind of filter to remove this kind of impurity. He's using the life that happens around you to purify you, to purge you, to cleanse you. Now, sanctification is not the absence of bad behavior. That helps. But I can, I can be, you know, I, I can not do a lot of bad things, and everybody thinks I'm good, but it doesn't mean I'm being sanctified on the inside. It doesn't change the way I'm thinking. What it is is the positive activity of being conformed to the image of Jesus. It is an incremental process, and there is always more of the human nature to battle and the sinful flesh to crucify. Pause and take a drink of your coffee because I need to. All right. How does sanctification happen? We talked about how justification happens. Sanctification, of course, the immediate part happens when you put your faith in Christ because now you are found in Christ that that sets you aside for the predestined future that God has for you. But how does the process happen? It happens as a believer daily surrenders their life to that end through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification happens as we daily surrender our life for the purpose of sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we have the power to do. Now, we all want to get better. We all want to do things right. We all have our self-improvement plans. At least I hope you do. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you don't have the power to really do what needs to be done. You can't change your nature. You can't change a, the, the things that need to be changed. We simply commit to allow God to do this. And then God does it in our lives as we allow him to. 1 Thessalonians 5 14 through 24. I think I skipped a couple verses in here. Anyways. You know what? Why don't you look that one up? 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians towards the end. It's in the New Testament. It's uh, right after right after Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and then you've got Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 14 says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Anybody convicted yet? (laughs) 
Uh, See that no one repays another evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. All right, we're talking about learning to do right, learning to, to be kind, learning to have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Verse 16 says, rejoice always. 17 says, pray without ceasing. These are some of the shortest verses in the Bible right here. Uh, Verse 18 says, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We've got this laundry list, right? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. God is sanctifying you through this process. Undoubtedly, the the people in Thessalonica are reading this and going, I have not been doing that. Or, or I've been doing exactly the opposite. Help the weak. Be patient with it. <laughs> God, give me patience, right? Okay, so they're, they're reading this, and, and, and he says, now, in, in effect, you can't just do this. It's not in you. But the God of peace himself will sanctify you, and you will be preserved complete. He is faithful who calls you. He will bring it to pass. So we choose to allow ourselves to be changed in this way. We engage in the process. We live by the spirit, not by the flesh. And then God, the Holy Spirit, does this. And we can be confident that he will keep doing it. He will do it. And, and this is good news because I get discouraged when I try and change myself. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I have, um, this just came to mind, I have always <laughs> felt like I should journal. I don't journal. Like I, like I have, I have <laughs> one, time, one time my wife was cleaning stuff out and unused things and, and out went a journal that I had started and there was just a few little entries in there. And I was angry because, <laughs> because it had something important in there to me. But like, there, I've had a number of empty notebooks and things like that where it's just like, I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. And like, that's such a small thing. Such a small thing. And I am so powerless to change myself that I look at that and I go, man, I've got all this way to go. I've got all these things to change. I am so aware of my, my inadequacies And Paul says, God's doing the sanctifying in you. Keep yielding yourself to him. He will do it. He's faithful to complete it. He will bring it to pass. Man, that's good news. Sanctification is good news. It sounds rough right up front. Man, I got to go through the process. Guess what? You'd rather go through the process than not. If you didn't hear that, she said, everybody else would rather you go through the process also. Mm. Mm. 
just an observation of fact there. That's all, that's all that is. Because we all know the, the people that are self-deceived. Yeah. That is another sermon. That's another message. We're not doing that. All right, Ariella, come on. Come on up and play. All right, how do you activate this part of your salvation? How do you, how do you engage this? Uh, if you have believed in Jesus with all your heart, if you have put your faith in him and given him your life, then justification is already yours. And you'll spend the rest of your life wrapping your mind around that your human mind and learning to walk in that, learning to, to experience that. You are also instantly sanctified in the sense that you are set apart and now that you're in Christ, you are predestined to, to be like Jesus and you're set apart for that purpose so you're sanctified there. But now you enter the process of sanctification, the, the purging, the cleansing, the, the process of becoming like Jesus. To engage that process, it takes an intentional commitment. It's not a happy coincidence. Sometimes it ain't happy at all. But it doesn't just happen. It's an intentional commitment to engage that, to, to be changed, to open yourself to, uh, uh, to be changed by the Holy Spirit. You need to obey the word. You need to obey scripture as you are spending time, as you're daily engaging this. The Holy Spirit will bring things to light. He will bring conviction. He will bring encouragement. He will, he will speak to you directly through the word and directly to your heart. I might add that will always agree with the word. <laughs> obey scripture as God's directions for your life. And as you do, it grates up and it bumps up against your human nature because you'd rather do it this way. You want to think about it this way. Scripture says something else. And as you choose Scripture, as you choose God, as you allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in you, then comes the, the last part here, and that is the indwelling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. He has a lot of titles. He's the comforter. He's the spirit of truth. Uh, but he is here to empower you, to fill you with the power that you need to live the way that you're supposed to live, to live according to the calling of God on your life, to make you more like Jesus. He superintends this sanctification process. He's the one present with you as you're reading, as you're as you're looking into the word as you're seeking, as you're availing yourself to God, saying, change me, grow me. The Holy Spirit's the one speaking and guiding and shaping you. And then as you obey, because he empowers you and he gives you the strength to obey, and you do that, something shifts. Something changes in your thinking. He produces fruit in your life. He makes you more like Jesus. Sanctification means daily time with God and in the Bible. And I know we all need more of that.
I definitely include myself in that. As I, as I pray and I read, the Holy Spirit highlights something in the Bible and applies directly to me some wisdom that I needed, some direction. And I make that choice to obey based on what he's speaking to me. This is the simple process right here. I put myself in a position to hear. He speaks and I obey. Because he gives me the strength to obey. My mind and my soul are shaped and are taught by that experience. And then I am changed to be a bit more like Jesus. And then in the future, I will respond differently to different situations. I'll, I'll have more appropriate responses um, in the future to different things. The amazing thing about the sanctification process is that it's not just sacrifice, and it's not just denying myself, and it's not just crucifying the flesh, though it is <laughs> those things. In the process, we see more and more of who God is. We get to see more and more of who he is as he leads us through this process. He reveals himself in our sanctification. We begin to understand the way that he thinks and the way that he moves. How, why? Because he's shaping us like him. And the way that he interacts with us and what righteousness, what right standing relationship with him looks like. So if you're a believer... If you're a disciple of Jesus, then you are justified. And you are selected and set apart to become like Jesus. It's your destiny to be sanctified altogether and completely. And when Jesus comes again in glory, we'll all be caught up in the air with him and we will be changed. And in that moment, our process of sanctification will be complete. It'll be done will be rid of the human nature and the what we call the, the stinking thinking. But until then, we keep encouraging each other, as we read in 1 Thessalonians. We keep encouraging each other and urging one another to pursue him. And another place in Scripture says, you know, um, urging one another on, spurring one another on to good works in Jesus. This is talking about the process, the sanctification process where we are becoming more like Jesus and to live our lives for him. Would you pray with me? Lord, you have done a wonderful thing in working our salvation and saving us. It's such a we're going to go on our whole lives working on understanding what these things mean. They're deeper than we are deep. Thank you for justifying us, for making us righteous in Jesus. Thank you for sanctifying us, first when you saved us, but also as you engage us in that process of becoming more like you. Today, Lord, we commit again to that process of sanctification. The purifying, the cleansing, the purging. To become everything that you have in mind for us. Really, it's a submission to your will. This is your will for us that, that we go through this and we want your will. 
It's our appropriate response in light of your sacrifice for us. Holy Spirit, we intentionally commit to consistently allow you to speak to us and empower us to obey. Would you continue to deepen our understanding in these things, Lord? We're not just going to get it all in one shot. (laughs) But Lord, we are committed to the process. How grateful we are that this is the process we get to be in instead of just being stuck and miserable with ourselves. There is hope because you will accomplish it. You will do it. You have said that this is your purpose for us and we submit to that purpose today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. As you go into this week, may you go full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May you grow in your understanding of this justification and sanctification that is ours in salvation.